From a whisper to a roar, our voice has grown in strength and volume. Echoes from our past guide our future as we explore the woman's voice. Well, today I have a very special guest. Everyone's special, but this one's particularly special. Miss Monique Talon, who I met in in the US a number of years ago. Good morning, Monique. How are you? Good morning, Lisa. I'm great. How are you? Good. How long is it since we've actually first met? Is it five, six years? I would say so. Something like that. Yeah. Time has flown by. I I don't even know where it's gone. (laughs) It's crazy. It's crazy. And I just, you know, the way we met was, was really the universe bringing us together. I think in that we were at a, um, uh, in international speakers conference, weren't we in Washington? Was it? Uh, it was in Phoenix. Phoenix, Phoenix. That's right. And we just connected online because there was a chat room going on, and we met there and made a connection. In that, uh, my coach is Armenian, and so I know that you you're Armenian as well. And we we really hit it off and have stayed connected since, which is fantastic. So, Monique, your story is one that is fascinating. You've had such a rich background in in helping women in what I regard as helping them find their voice. And so today I think we're going to really be able to gain some insight and some knowledge around how you bring that conversation to the table. So let's get Mm -hmm. started and how let's tell the listeners how you have got here today how's your voice led you here today Mm. you know it's been a lifelong journey I would say of finding my voice um I am a first generation Armenian American so I was born to immigrant parents and you know, they did as any parents would when you come to a foreign country, Uh, you are very strict with your children. You're, you know, you want to keep them close to home. And so I was, I would say pretty sheltered as a child and was always told to, you know, just be quiet and be obedient and not rock the boat too much. And so for the first maybe 17, 18 years of my life, I remember being very introverted which if you know me is very opposite of my personality. Um, And so I was always the shy, quiet girl in the back of the room, never really spoke up too much, um, you know, in school or even in my social life, I was, I was pretty quiet and introverted. Um, And it wasn't until later in my adult life where I had to sort of come out of my shell and, had to overcome a lot of the, you know, uh, inner dialogue around being afraid to speak up, you know, being afraid that people would think that I wasn't intelligent enough or good enough. And, you know, this kind of continued throughout my, even my professional life, uh, this fear of speaking up and, and voicing my opinion. And luckily, you know, I stumbled upon coaching, uh, which, became not only a profession, but also sort of therapy for me to find tools in order to kind of overcome the fear of speaking up and the fear of, of using my voice. Um, and so I think it's just been a lifelong journey of mine. And 
I'm happy to say that I have found mentors and coaches and people who have helped me, such as yourself, uh, reclaim reclaim my voice. And what's your background? What do you specialize in? So I help women develop uh, self-confidence, mm-hmm. uh, funnily enough, um, and a, a feminine leadership approach. So I work with women, professional women, women who are, you know, Um, in the corporate world uh, looking to move up in their own careers and uh, and be be leaders in whatever capacity that is for them. Mm. Um, So a big part of that actually is helping women reclaim their authenticity, Mm -hmm. uh, their authentic voice, Mm -hmm. um, and be able to express themselves confidently uh, in, in whatever situation they find themselves in. Hmm. You've had, you've been in the corporate world for quite a long time, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Where did, what was the company you started out with? I can't remember. Uh, so I worked for eBay for many years. Oh, uh, that's right. Valley. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And how did you find, how did you find, well, your voice in that environment, but indeed, what was your take on women and their their ability to be heard in that space back in, in that time? Mm. So for me personally, uh, I just remember really struggling with imposter syndrome when I was there. I was one of the young, more younger women. Um, when I worked there, I was in my mid-20s. And so, you know, I was sitting at the, at the, at the big, big people's table (laughs) and, uh, and having to, you know, find the confidence to, to, to speak up and add my, my voice to the conversation. And I found that very challenging. Um, but what I noticed, you know, during that time was that it was usually the men doing all the talking Mm. and they really liked to hear themselves talk. (laughs) And the women just sort of, you know, allowed them to to do their thing and would maybe pipe up at the at the end. Um, and usually, the women had the more well thought out answers, while the men were just busy talking over one another and interrupting one another and that kind of thing. And so, I, I observed that there was a different style of communication between men and women. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, it was something that I dealt with myself, um, having the confidence and the courage to add your voice into that conversation can be very difficult for, I think, for a lot of women. That's interesting. You know, I'm sitting here and, and I've heard everything that you've said in, in many different forms coming from different people in, in the conversations that we've had on the, on the podcast. And it really is something that men do do. Now, this is, this is not to say that that's a negative thing. Uh, it's just an observation that men really do talk themselves up. And I know my husband, for example, he will say something and I look at him and go, that is such an exaggeration of what you actually do. It's not a lie, but it's an exaggeration. And women tend to really shy away from exaggerating. Do you think that we should take on some of that masculine energy and actually talk ourselves up more? Or do you think that we should try and reframe it and change the culture ultimately so that we don't do that? Where do you think we should sit? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons why women don't 
uh, use that extra bravado is because they're afraid of being seen as, um, uh, you know, full of themselves or, you know, mm -hmm. as, um, you know, arrogant. Arrogant, mm -hmm. thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. And so they actually go the opposite direction, right? Mm -hmm. They really do kind of downplay themselves and and their achievements and and all and even their opinions a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that we can learn from men and just you know add a tiny bit of of confidence to the way we speak about ourselves and our achievements or our opinions, it doesn't need to be false bravado, you know, because mm. I don't feel like that is authentic to, to women mm. a lot of times. Um, but, you know, adding that assertiveness, that grounded, centered, you know, knowingness when you speak from a place of, of authority and, and authenticity, um, that actually, you know, tends to land really well. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't say that we need to, to, to do as the men do. <laughs> um, it seems yeah. like a swinging, swinging pendulum, you know, men take it to one extreme on the, on yeah. the, on the scale. And then women tend to go completely the other way. And I, and I think the point is that we're not asking women to, to really amplify uh, the truth in what they're doing, but we really just want them to state the truth rather than reduce the truth. Um, that's certainly when, when I'm working with clients, that's really my goal is that I don't want you to exaggerate. I don't want you to lie. Uh, I just want you to be truthful to yourself. And that's really come in, coming in alignment with that divine feminine uh, mm -hmm. energy that we talk about and divine feminine energy is about being truthful to yourself and in fact, not lying to yourself. Have you got a response to that? Absolutely. And that's something I can attest to that you helped me with actually, when we were working together is, is really, you know, not being afraid of owning my authentic voice. Um, you know, and that, that does take a little bit of vulnerability, you know, especially when you're up on stage or speaking to big groups of people, you know, letting your guard down and sort of showing, you know, showing up authentically can be scary. You know, I, I had this fear of, well, if I let my guard down, people won't take me seriously. You know, mm -hmm. I have to be buttoned up and, you know, authoritative and leader like, you know, here I am speaking about leadership. I should, you know, be, be that leader. way. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the feedback I kept getting was that it was, it was too polished. It was too buttoned up. And so, you know, letting that guard down and being more authentic was mm -hmm. quite challenging, but apparently that lands and it does land. Uh, you know, I always found myself uh, connecting more with the audience when I, when I did that. Um, so it's a constant, you know, practice for myself uh, in in learning and leaning into my mm. authenticity. But it takes a lot of soul searching and can be quite scary at times. <laughs> I'm going to deviate just for a moment. I'm writing a piece at the moment about leadership in 2021, and I really do strongly believe that COVID is or has changed 
what a leader should sound like in 2021. I think that it's changed the model. Um, We've seen big shifts, obviously, in the US with change of leadership. And I just wanted to touch on, do you feel that we have a different expectation today than we did, say, even five years ago of what a good leader sounds like? Well, you know, there's actually a lot of research uh, that I cite in my book around this. Um, Number of years ago, probably 10 years by now, uh, there was a study that was done where they asked 66,000 people around the world from different countries uh, to take a number of uh, leadership qualities and categorize them between feminine and masculine, and then rate them in the order of preference. And what they found was that a majority of people preferred their leaders to show up with more feminine qualities, things like authenticity, um, things like empathy, um, having a longer term vision, uh, being much more um, patient, you know, things that we would naturally more associate with, with, you know, quote unquote, feminine qualities of leadership. And so this, you know, this like strong man, kind of authoritative, very top-down leadership approach that we've seen around the world, I think, isn't necessarily what people are looking for. I think they look for that when there's times of crises. Mm. Um, But, you know, as we saw in New Zealand, you know, I mean, she did such a fantastic job. Um, in rallying people around her vision around how to deal with COVID, Mm. right? As opposed to what happened in the States where there was no vision and there was no leadership. There was just kind of this false bravado around it. Um, Two different outcomes, right? Mm. And so I do think that, you know, deep down inside, people are looking for more collaborative type leaders, people who can really inspire people around a vision or a concept Mm. rather than this sort of, you know, top down, uh, more masculine leadership approach that Mm. we've seen traditionally um, in the last Mm. decades. And look, we focus a lot on the fact that, you know, women are bringing in this feminine energy in, you know, in the fact that they are female. But do you believe that men should be really looking to acquire and strengthen their feminine voice within and the the divine feminine within them as well? Mm, I do, but I will say that, you know, I've seen many women who, you know, are leaders, but show up in a more masculine Mm. uh, style of leadership. So it's not just I'm a woman and so therefore I am this feminine leader. No, actually, you know, we have feminine and masculine qualities in each of us. Mm. Um, So it doesn't necessarily have to do with gender per se. Mm -hmm. I think it really has to do with these energetic qualities that all humans, you know, have within themselves. And it's really about which of those qualities do we want to express in any Mm. given context. And so, yes, I I would love and encourage men to, to embrace some of these qualities. Um, Do you think think that that's happening? Do you think that the, the, that men generally are starting to take more notice? I would say that men are beginning to wake up to this idea Um, I think there's a curiosity 
And, you know, I come across men in the corporate world who are genuinely invested in understanding and promoting female leadership. And they want to understand kind of, you know, what those differences could be and, and how to cultivate that in, in women. But I, I don't think that there are enough role models out there, male role models that uh, can role model this for other men. And I also don't know if there are frameworks or, you know, trainings that are really designed to help men cultivate these qualities inside themselves. So mm-hmm. I can think I, can I go, go down that, that rabbit hole of sometimes the perception when you start winning, using words like divine feminine, uh, we get you know, deer, deer in headlights gazes, uh, particularly from men and and indeed executive women, where it, oh, you're talking that woo woo hippie stuff again. Um, what is your training model to to teach women to you know have this stronger presence and have that stronger voice without having to go down that woo woo path? You know, mm. it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean saffron robes and incense burning, does it? No, no. And in in, in fact, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to translate it, translate these concepts into more sort of mainstream. Um, language that anybody could understand and embrace. And so therefore I developed uh, the feminine leadership model, which I talk about in my book and teach with, you know, with my clients and in the corporate trainings that I do. And it's, it's really just a framework that incorporates both feminine and masculine qualities uh, in a leadership model that is really geared towards situational leadership. So, you know, every situation is different and it requires us to show up in different ways. And so I always tell my clients to think about, you know, what is that desired outcome that you want in any given situation? So let's say I'm in a in a situation where we need to come up with some sort of innovation, uh, maybe a new product or a new service for our company to keep ahead of the curve. Well, in that case, you know, I need to show up uh, in a more collaborative style of leadership, right? Instead of telling people what I think, I should invite them to tell me what their ideas are, where people feel safe to contribute, where people feel heard and like that their ideas matter. Um, So that's a very different leadership style versus, let's say, you know, the house is burning down and we need somebody to make sure that everybody's safe and out of the building Mm -hmm. in an orderly fashion. Right. Mm -hmm. So you're not really sitting around waiting what, you know, to hear what other people think in that situation. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think giving people a choice, uh, and understanding awareness around how we have these different qualities inside of ourselves. Um, and that really the, it's it's incumbent on us to to choose those qualities based on the outcome that we want. Interesting that you talk about the house burning down because it's an analogy that I often get my clients to think about when they're saying, "Well, I can't. What is what does my real voice sound like? Or I don't know how to be authoritative." And if you think about that scenario, that you're you're in a house fire. 
and you wake up and you have to get the the family out of the house. There's not a moment of self-doubt, self-manipulation where you go, you know, should I do this? Shouldn't I do this? Should I bring this to the table? You're not really thinking about it. You're in that fight and flight response. Your adrenals have kicked in and you use the voice to rally everyone together get out the front door and make sure everyone's safe and you are expressing yourself very clearly. You're making sure that everyone follows you and you get the job done. And I think that's that's often a really great analogy to say, well, how would you be in that situation? And they say, well, I would be, that's exactly what I'd do. I'd, I'd use my voice. Do you agree with that? Um, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't? you know, in that, in that situation, I mean, yes, there are people who might freeze in that situation and then not be able to speak up, but I Mm. think most people would, would, you know, take charge. Um, Mm. So it's in us, but what's interesting in that uh, analogy is that, you know, your adrenals are pumping, you have this, you know, these chemicals that are giving you the superhuman strength, Mm. which is actually very similar to confidence. And so in the work that I do, um, is, is really helping people embody that in their body, that feeling of confidence, because when you are speaking from a place of confidence, you don't have to pretend to be confident. You just are. Are. And Mm. so whatever comes out of your mouth, people are going to believe, right? And so it's, it's really an energetic shift. I think that is required. Um, and getting out of our head around, you know, what are people going to think, or is this the right thing to say, or, you know, really quieting those fears, owning your message (laughs) in a confident and grounded way. I think that's when it becomes easier. Right. But but yeah, I love, I love what you're, what you're saying. It it is the embodiment, uh, you know, in your training and in my training, it's not about fake it till you make it model. Uh, you know, there is, there is study and there is a certain amount of science around, you have to live and breathe what it is you, that you want to become certainly, but it's about developing that sense of confidence that just is, it's Mm. not pretending to be confident. Mm. And that's a very different feeling. Wouldn't you say to pretending and actually being it? Yes. And I remember, you know, in the early days when I, you know, was just starting out as a keynote speaker and I remember working with you and it was, I was genuinely afraid, Mm. you know, just genuinely scared. And that, that fear kind of canceled everything else out, whatever preparation I had, or, you know, whatever confidence I had in that moment, it would really kind of cancel it out. And it wasn't until I just kind of faced the fear and did it anyway, Mm. over and over and over again, until that confidence just kind of was there. Yeah. Right. Mm. Um, So sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and, Mm. and, and go through the fear. Um, And then suddenly your body acclimates to that. And that becomes the new kind of homeostasis versus you know the fear state which can feel very permanent at times yeah Yeah. I love it what's the biggest 
hurdle or resistance that you find when you're training women that they stop themselves from being their ultimate or ultimate selves or to reach their higher potential? Mm. You know, I think the one consistent thing is that um, a lot of the women I work with are afraid of their greatness. They're afraid of being too much. They're afraid of, you know, being too successful or too intelligent or too fill in the blank. And so they hold themselves back because of it. And to me, it's, it's such a shame because women have so many gifts to offer the world. And now more than ever, we need their voices at the table. We need them to be the brilliant, powerful beings that they are because, you know, (laughs) humanity isn't doing that well, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) and, And that's what we were talking about before. It's a common theme coming through today that it's on that scale again where women, instead of turning up and being authentic, are authentic, actually retracting away from that and pulling back all the time. Mm. Why do you think this is? Mm. There's a lot of factors involved. You know, I think society, you know, kind of the patriarchal structures that we live in today uh, go the extra mile to make sure that women don't kind of step into their greatness. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of filters and stereotypes and biases that are really actually designed to keep women playing small. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's not, you know, it's just, you know, if women were allowed to embrace their power, we would live in a completely different world. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that simple. So. I think, you know, more and more women are waking up, you know, and, and, and taking back their power. And a big part of that is reclaiming their voice. Um, so I'm excited to see what that world is going to look like. Um, well, you're living through a beautiful change with, with your vice president being female. I think that that's extraordinarily, uh, powerful and exciting for the rest of the world to watch this leadership, because I do think that it's going to lead us up and out of what we've known in the past. Mm. Are you excited about that? I'm very excited about that. You know, I think it's, it's high time for that Mm. to happen in the U S you know, we we've seen some wonderful female leaders in other countries, but the U S is, you know, what still one of the most powerful countries in the world and having a female leader at the helm, I think is going to um, shatter a lot of uh, that glass ceiling and inspire other, you know, women to, to forge ahead. So it is that that example of leadership and just giving us so much more permission to, to step beyond that mediocrity in, in that, that midline that we're talking about on the scale today. I think that that's exciting. Um, how do you feel your life experiences have affected the tone of your voice? Hmm. Yeah, as I was sort of mentioning at the beginning of our conversation, you know, the way I was raised, um, kind of that very, you know, traditional, a little bit overbearing, strict kind of family structure that did sort of, you know, keep me, 
keep me more quiet, I think really, really shaped me um, and allowed me to sort of have to overcome those things, right? And so the things that I've learned through that struggle is, are the things that I teach other women. Mm. Um, so it's ironic, but they always say that the things that you're learning are the things that you end up teaching other people. Mm. Mm. Uh, so I do think that that early childhood experience really shaped me and brought me to where I am today. What about your cultural heritage? I mean, I I know, and you know that I have a passion for the Armenian people and the and the culture and the history uh, that you've gone through as a country. Um, has that affected you in your leadership style and your voice? Hmm. I I would think so. Uh, um... You know, it's interesting now I'm stuttering suddenly. (laughs) (laughs) The pain body arises. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's true. I mean, the Armenian culture is a patriarchal society. Mm. Um, I just came back from living in Armenia for two years. And it was a very eye-opening experience because women there uh, are not empowered. Women there really do struggle with um, expressing themselves and being taken seriously, and you know, and and you know, they're not represented in leadership positions. So, um, yeah, I think my cultural background has impacted that, um, but also kind of on the flip side, I come from a family of very strong women. <laughs> I had a, a very you know, matriarchal family, I would say most of them were women in my family and and very independent and and strong women. Mm, mm. So that I think has shaped me. Um, I went to an all girls Catholic high school. So that has also shaped me. But, Mm. but absolutely, I think all these different things shape us uh, into who we are. And, and, you know, me being Armenian has probably definitely played into that. Mm, it's interesting that you say, and I, I um, understand what you're saying, that the women in Armenia don't have a voice, uh, but then you look at some of the female Armenians living outside of Armenia itself. Uh, in, we're talking about the Kardashians. We're talking about Shir, you know, some of the most well-known uh, celebrities in the world have that heritage and that you know, I'm going to say fire and that passion for life. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of things to say about the Kardashians, but at the end of the day, I really do think that they're a fine example of what Armenia has got to offer for, for women's uh, strength. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's, she's one of the few that, that, that have really kind of overcome some of those cultural norms within our own culture, you know, and, and I, you know, I got the chance to meet her actually, when she visited Armenia, um, last doc, two Octobers ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she, interestingly enough, she's very soft-spoken mm-hmm. in real life. Um, but there's just this like confidence, you know, yet power because she is a businesswoman. Well, that's the embodiment that you're talking about, isn't it? You know, that divine feminine, she's not leading into the room in, you know, um, military 
hardcore outfits, she's leading into the room as a woman and that confidence. But without, you know, I use the word strong words with soft tone. Uh, you don't have to be coming with a dictatory Hitler-like tone. Uh, right. You can come in and, and use really strong words, very poignant to the point, not be uh, regarded as a, a B-I-T-C-H uh, and, and get the point across and make an impact, can't you? Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right about that and she does embody that beautifully um, and so, you know, these are the things that you can look at. I mean, obviously, people, she can also be a very controversial figure. Mm. Um, but uh, my experience of her was exactly that. And um, I think when women do lean into that feminine, their feminine strengths, as I like to call them, you know, that's really what makes us unique and different from men. So why not play into those strengths? You know, that's mm -hmm. how we are wired. Those are our, you know, God-given gifts. And so when I see women trying to be like men, I sort of go, why, you know, let the men be the way they are. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, I've actually had conversations with male CEOs who have contacted me and said, Lisa, I really want you to work with my executives who are female, and I want you to teach them how to be feminine, be a female leader. I don't want them to embody a masculine energy. I want them to bring their feminine energy forward. And, and I want you to rewire that into them so that they can turn up and be themselves. Because I do think that men now, I'm not going to say everyone, but there's this expectation that they want authenticity as well. They just want women to show up. That's right. Because it actually hurts women when they do uh, show up aggressively mm -hmm. uh, because they're not liked and, and it's not men, authentic. Exactly. And But men don't really have to deal with the likeness factor. They can be assertive, aggressive, and get away with it because mm. people naturally associate leaders with masculine traits. Mm. So when a woman shows up as a leader, that's not the natural association. Um, so women do struggle with, with having to be liked when they're leading. Um, and so that's an extra kind of obstacle. And the best way that I have found is to lean into your feminine qualities. Um, and so I'm not surprised that men are approaching you for this because, uh, I mean, who wants to work for a BITCH? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and most of the time it's they've taken on that persona to try and fit in. And that's Correct. where that authentic piece comes in. And, and people want to work with authentic people in 2021. Do you like the sound of your own voice? You know, that's such a funny question because um, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people do. No, they don't. And so, uh, yeah, I can't say that I do, but um, I hope other people like my voice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If Oprah's voice was a color, what would you say it is? What color is her voice? You know, her voice really is just so soothing. And to me, that's, you know, the color purple. This, she's got this like very velvety, soothing tone mm -hmm. that makes me feel safe. Uh -huh. And yes. so it's more of a that. feeling than a color, I think, for me. Absolutely. And most people, and, and I think 
whether there's this unconscious association with the fact that she was with the color purple in the movie, uh, a lot of people do go to the to the color purple, or they'll go to a very rich, uh, earthy red, orange mm-hmm. color as well. So again, she is always for me the embodiment of uh, femininity and being able to have those strong tones with uh, strong words with the soft tone. And uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. What woman's voice was the biggest influence in your life growing up? You know, that's, uh, that's, that's gotta be my mother. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have to tread carefully because I know she'll watch this at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, mom. Hi. You know, my mom was a perfectionist. She is a perfectionist. And her need for us to be the best, I think, uh, sometimes came off as as critical. And so that voice became, her voice became my voice. It became the voice of my inner bully, as I like to call it, um, that was always pushing me to be better. Mm. Um, and, 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 and a lot of times trying to find fault in whatever I was doing. And so, you know, that really has changed my life in, in so many ways, because my journey of, of beating that kind of imposter syndrome and, and, uh, lack of confidence has been the thing that has propelled me into what I do today. So I have to only thank her <laughs> for that. <laughs> what color, what color would you say your mom's voice is? Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> you know, it's got to be know? kind of blackish brown. <laughs> But she does have a beautiful singing voice, Lisa. So, um, you know. She's Armenian, Armenians. I mean, they're so musical. That's right. That's right. So, And your sister's sister's an opera singer as well. So it's definitely in the family. And wasn't your dad a musician as well? He is. Yeah, he's a violinist. That's right. All right. So what color do you think your voice is? You know, I've been told that... um, my voice makes people feel really comforted and safe and, and nurtured. So I would have to say like a blue green, you know, color, if I was supposed to guess. Yes. And I love the way that you keep coming back to a sense of feeling because ultimately a voice is a feeling. It leaves a, a legacy in the room. Why do you think it is that women find it so difficult to find their voice? Mm. You know, uh, I think it is because of all the conditioning, you know, especially when we're little girls, you know, we're just told to be quiet and and be, be good girls, you know, and, and so that need to be good, that need to be perfect, you know, does really create the sense of don't want to rock the boat, don't want to do the wrong thing. What if I say the wrong thing? You know, maybe somebody will get upset at me. Mm. I think it's, it's, it maybe comes from, from that, but, but also from just societal conditioning around women's roles, you know, the role of women and how women really should just be more of the, the nurturers and kind of, you know, seen, but not heard, uh, that, that could also, um, lead to it. I I don't think women from a younger age are really encouraged to 
to speak up and um, to, to voice their themselves. So that's some of the reasons I think, but there, there could be others. Yeah. Why do you think women are still apologizing for being in the conversation at the table? Uh, <laughs> it, it is one of my real pet peeves when I hear women do this and, and they do it all the time, all the time in the corporate world, in meetings and the, at the boardroom, it's like, um, Oh, is it, you know, I'd like to say something, you know, almost asking permission mm. to speak. Mm. Mm. And I mean, what a way to undercut your own authority. Mm. Right. I mean, a lot of times I think women aren't even aware that they're doing this, but um, men don't tend to ask permission to speak. They just speak. <laughs> um, so it, I think, again, it's just that conditioning and, and the lack of, you know, feminine role models, I, I think has led women to really still feeling like they have to apologize. And, and it's something that I coach a lot of women around to not do. Um, even, even when they speak, um, you know, there's it's something called upspeak where we ask, you know, say a statement, but we ask it like a question. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you get those. Oh yeah. All the time. Biggest mistake. Such a, yeah, such a mistake. And, and um, yeah, it just really requires practice uh, to get out. And ownership, ownership, Mm -hmm. just in, you know, when I work with people and, and I get them to say their name, introduce themselves and not introduce themselves with, hi, I'm Lisa Lachlan Bell. And I live in Brisbane and I'm happily married. You know, when I first heard someone do that, I said, hang on, stop. Are you really happily married? And she said, what do you mean? Of course I am. She took offense to it. I said, well, there's something in you that tell her, is telling me that you're not. Hmm. And that, yeah. that primitive response that happens in men particularly, but also in women, of the listener, is not that they'll intellectualize it and go, oh, she just she just um, had upspeak in her voice, is there's just something that I don't like about her or there's just something that I don't trust or I just don't resonate with something in her. There's something often when people are introducing themselves, women introducing themselves, pitching an idea, particularly at the table, and they complain that, well, I said that, and it wasn't heard at the table. And I say, well, how did you say it? How, how did you turn up to that conversation? And that's, that's challenging for women because it's confronting. And it means that you've got to take ownership. You can't just throw the blame on the men all the time. You can't that's just right. go, well, the men's, men aren't listening. That's right. Or the men are biased. Are you actually biased against yourself in that situation? That's right. What do you think yeah. of, is is the issue going on in that particular scenario? Yeah, it's again, it's it's not wanting to be too big, too much. You know, we don't want to hurt other people's feelings. We don't want to be overbearing, and so we downplay ourselves. We downplay our message mm-hmm. when we speak, and um, and we don't even know that we're doing it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. When I when I have women actually say the name, hello, my name is Lisa Lockland Bell. When they actually say their name, they burst into tears or the look on their face is, oh my goodness, that's the first time I've ever said my name. 
which just does a complete flip in their brain. How can that be? Mm. Yeah. Where do you think um, this, where do you, you know, I know I can track usually with my clients back to cognitive development. Things have happened in, in people's cognitive development between eight and 12 years of age. When you're working with women, do you find there's a common story that comes through of that moment in time where they start making agreements with themselves to apologize, to not turn up? Yes. It was the time when somebody told them they were too much. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, usually in childhood. In, yeah. Usually in childhood. And so that was the story that they created for themselves and the belief became the belief mm-hmm. that I better, I better tone it down. Mm-hmm. Don't want to get yelled at again. And do you find that when you ask that specific question, was there a moment in time, was there a person or a situation that you felt like you couldn't speak up? Most times they'll say, yes, it was on this day in that place. I know what I was wearing. I know who I was speaking to. And this happened nine Mm. times out of 10. They remember exactly. Mm. And that's empowering, don't you think, as a coach to be able to go, this is not real. The story that you've been telling yourself Mm. was one single moment in time when you were very young You didn't understand a lot of what you do today and you've carried that cellular memory forward into your adulthood and you can't function. How's that serving you now? And I think that can be such a powerful moment in transformation for a person to just have that awareness that they have been carrying that with them their entire adult life. And it is not real. It's it's Mm. a story that was created at a certain moment in time that isn't serving them now. Mm. And so now they get to choose as an adult Mm. to create a different story. And what is that story that you want to now embody for yourself? Mm. Right. Mm. That, that is real. Mm. And we (laughs) block, we block so many of those, those situations out. I recently had a male leader and he had lots of physical vocal problems, uh, but he also uh, had a really big team that he was leading and his CEO wanted me to work with him to strengthen him up and build resilience, et cetera, et cetera. And I kept asking over a few sessions, I kept saying, did something happen to you physically? Has something happened? Because his voice was really strained and he kept saying no. And then every session for about three or four sessions, I said, are you sure? And I'd ask it a different way. And eventually one day he just looked at me and it was like a light switch went on and he said, oh my God. I just remembered in my youth, I was physically attacked and knocked to the ground and passed out. Mm. He said, I've not had a memory of that since the day it happened. And so that moment to unlock that and real and for him to recognize it had such a compounding unraveling for him and realizing how he had been functioning all those years because he'd been operating from, he, he felt like he couldn't tell anyone because of who he was and the situation that he was in. Um, and that translated into his adult world. And then from that moment on to 
recognize that, deal with that and move on was completely empowering. So sometimes just having these conversations with someone like yourself or with me or with, with other people that work in this field can be so life-changing. It's true. It's true. And what a gift for that person to have that awareness and recognition and um, transformation. I mean, uh, these are the things that, you know, people don't realize, but they carry with them and it stays with you your entire life until you do the work. <laughs> and, and it's not just fear. It's not just, oh, I'm, I'm fearful of public speaking, uh, which is, you know, we know that it's the number one fear in the world, but is it really, is there an underlying issue because of that? And it's just easy to label it that way. What do you do to keep your voice fit? So people are going to now think that you paid me to say this. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did indeed. (laughs) Oh, man. The, the, you know, the work that we did together, Lisa, has stayed with me and the exercises, the vocal exercises um, that we, that we did together. are things that I, you know, should probably do more often, but Mm -hmm. I do do them, you know, especially before a podcast or, you know, speak, you know, speaking engagement. Uh, You know, I had a vocal injury a number of years ago because I misused my voice. Technically you misused my voice. I was, I wasn't using it correctly. And so it's so important to, to manage the voice and keep it up and, you know, strengthen the vocal cords. Um, it's it's really made a big big difference in my life, and has been made it easier to to speak in public for sure. And what and what about your physical self as well? You know, you you know that I uh, have a great passion in looking after your physical self. Uh, what do you do in that regard? Yeah, well, it's it's all connected. So. Mm-hmm you know, I try to keep myself as healthy as possible with the right diet and exercise and sleep. Um, and more lately, I've been doing much more uh, around meditation and yoga. And so those things are just essential for, for me to function in life, but also to support kind of the work I do in the world, um, self-care is, is just paramount. So Mm, it's dependent on how you turn up, isn't it? It's so important. Mm. What advice would you give today as we finish up to women to help them reconnect to their voice? Mm. I think the biggest part of that is reconnecting to yourself, you know, and so well said, (laughs) How do you reconnect with your voice and how do you reconnect with other people? You reconnect yourself, just go straight to it. It's not rocket, it's not rocket science, is it? No. Well, I mean, I mean that that's easier said than done as well. It it, it is a difficult process and it's a journey, isn't it? But it's, Mm. it's not something that you have to go and get a PhD for. Uh, It's not necessarily expensive depending on the path that you go down, it really is about spending the time. Mm. Yeah. And, and I think it helps to have support, you know, on that journey and there's different ways to, to find that support. But, um, you know, I think we, we tend to wear a lot of masks 
and we feel like we have to show up a certain way to be accepted or to fit in. And really all it takes is just taking those masks off one by one and then and then sitting with, you know, what is there at the end of the day and mm-hmm. and really accepting that, you know, whatever it is, you know, and that, 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 that is enough. Mm-hmm. That that is enough. How do you want people to feel when you leave the room? What can I say? Just an unshakable feeling of confidence and empowerment, you know, that I, I tend to speak to lot, lot, lots of women. And so what I want them to walk away with is knowing how powerful they really are, mm-hmm. you know, and, and feeling that in their, in their bones, in their body. Tapping into that part of them that is is their real power. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope. Well, I, I, I can tell you that <laughs> that you've used the word many times today, and I've been fortunate enough to spend some time with you in your in your home in Los Angeles mm-hmm. as well. And uh, you, we definitely do feel safe when we're with Mm. you we feel like we're in that right space so what's next for you I know that you've mentioned your book but what's coming up on the horizon you know um probably a second book and Mm. um and also a tv show that I am currently working on Um, I love that (laughs) yeah so that that is, you know, it's it's the next level. I mean, it's terrifying and it's scary and it's another, you know, big step in putting myself out there. So it's, you know, it's still part of that growth cycle for me. But um yeah, it's it's an exciting new chapter and I'm I'm excited to see how it all evolves. Oh, beautiful. Well, we're going to share all of the platforms that uh, our listeners can connect with you and follow you and watch your journey as you start your television extraordinary journey. Uh, And please give my love to Glendale. It's one of my favorite places on the, on the planet. And I can't wait to come and see you again. And we're going to have to get you out here though. Yes. When when we open our borders, you know, that we don't know when that's going to be, but one day, one day we'll get there. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today, Monique. Uh, Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been lovely. Take good care. Thanks for joining me today to strengthen your voice. You want to be heard and you deserve to be heard. We're here to make sure that the woman's voice is heard. I'm Lisa Lachlan Bell and together we are... The Woman's Voice. Thanks to our official sponsor, The Voice Draw. For more information on your voice, go to thewomansvoice.com.au.